We acknowledge the traditional landowners of this country. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We would particularly like to acknowledge the traditional landowners of the land on which we stand. I am on Wiradjuri land. Tam stands on the land of the Dharawal people and Laurie on the land of the Tarabal people. We express our great gratitude in sharing this land with you. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Uh, yeah, we will get started. So welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast with all of us now. Um, and like I said, we were talking just before you came on about how you have so many cool connections. I don't exactly know who specifically is your supervisor because I feel like you have a few, but is so Jane Chalmers is one of your supervisors. Yeah, she's the big dog. She's my principal supervisor, um, yep. which is so cool. Um, and then obviously I've got Lorimer Mosley on as a co-supervisor and then Hayley Leak as my other co-supervisor. So we've got a pretty cool team. I'd like to. Very think. cool. <laughs> that is Amazing. the coolest team. Um, Jane will be on here someday. But yeah, just keep nudging her. We'll get her we'll on. Um, we'll and do. Lorimer at some point will get on. Um, but yeah, you've got such a cool team. But I was trying to do what Tam does really well is stock people, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and find I out did it so yesterday. Much- <laughs> you would have seen my likes, Millie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, like, like. I reposted no, one. <laughs> is that why? Because I was like, I was me. checking. I'm like, why? It was me. So many random new followers. I have no idea. Um, but very cool. Thanks for the love. Yeah, I appreciate no, no worries. it. <laughs> well, I was trying to work out your background because I know that you're doing your PhD, which we're going to talk about. But I was like, is she a physio? I'm if you were a medical student. So can you please fill us in to what your background is before you got to the research stage? And then we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a rando in my research group. So I did a Bachelor of Medical Science, which is a three-year undergrad. So very much wet lab based, using fancy pipettes, looking under microscopes, that kind of stuff. Um, And then I did a standalone honours degree, which was actually in cancer research. I had done some research assistant work with this lab and continued on doing some research there. So I'm at UniSA. I did all my Mm. undergrad through UniSA, still doing my PhD there. Um, And so originally I was part of the School of Pharmacy and Medical Sciences, and you're kept quite isolated with just those group of people and those degrees, whereas the body and mind research group is much more affiliated with the health sciences, allied health stream at uni. And so, yeah, I guess I just did a bit of a search, found out that they did persistent pain research. And I'd always had an interest because I have a lived experience of pelvic pain. I was diagnosed with endo when I was 14 um, and not just seeing other family members having to live with chronic or persistent pain. Um, And so, yeah, I guess I've always just had that interest. And so I reached out and I guess it was just a match made in heaven. Jane was coming back to Adelaide at that time um, and I had been a bit creepy and stalked her thesis online beforehand, so I knew they'd done pelvic pain stuff before. As we all do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I feel like even though I'm not necessarily a clinician, I think I bring a different side to my research because I've got that biomedical research side of things but also the patient perspective as well. Mm, That's right. 
yeah it's really really cool um to work with yeah people that have obviously worked as physios and exercise physiologists we've got OTs in the group as well so yeah it's very very cool but again I'm a bit of a weirdo because (laughs) I'm not I don't really fit into that norm of what um yeah I suppose researchers normally fit into that group so I was just reading the ABC story I don't know if that's new again bit of stalking thanks Tam um (laughs) Beautiful, such a beautiful story. But so you were saying that because you had um, endometriosis and that's what kind of led you to want to study this. So what made you kind of pick exactly what you were doing? So if you can tell us what is your kind of main research question and what you're looking at? Essentially, so I met with Loz and I really liked how he framed it. It's like if you are becoming part of our family. And so obviously went away and had a thought about it. and I talked with some of the people that were already in the research group and I just, yeah, really loved the vibe. It was as soon as you walked in, you could just sense a good vibe. But, yeah, I didn't even know who Laura Mosley was. I didn't know anything. I just <laughs> rocked up, went, hey, I'm interested in pain. So I started my PhD and then he went overseas, obviously pre-pandemic, for a couple of weeks and gave me a couple options because I hadn't read Explain Pain or anything like that. So I'd read that, read some of his other books, and I was just reading going, like, yep. Yeah, yep, 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 this all applies to pelvic pain and I guess I can take it on on a personal level but just from chatting with others and being exposed to, I guess, pelvic pain in as a patient and, you know, um, being exposed to the clinical side of things as well, I was like, yes, this all should be shared in pelvic mm. pain language essentially and I was reading going, you know, I can understand this because I have... I guess that background, that biological understanding, I did a degree in this. And then I just kept thinking back, my 12 to 14-year-old self, even up to when I started uni, my 17-year-old self would not be able to comprehend this Mm. and apply it to their situation in terms of pelvic pain. And so I just went to him and said, you know, explain pain needs to be written for pelvic pain, essentially. Um, And so he said, cool, let's do it. And I guess that's where it all started. So my, yeah, my project is looking at optimizing pain science education for people with pelvic pain. Cause yeah, reading it and you, you know, hearing about knees and backs and it's kind of, uh, you know, chatting to some other health professionals, it's kind of written in a manly-ish way. Like it's written by two guys essentially. So that comes with a different, you know, sort yeah. of, sort of chat. Yeah. Different spin. Um, and you know, thinking you know backs and knees you know everyone has one of them but when you start talking about vulvas and vaginas and periods and sex that comes with all the psychosocial cultural influences with it it's a visceral pain condition it's you know there's so much squished into a pelvis um and it just has so many implications for everyday everyday functions like peeing pooing sitting standing cycling doing your favorite activities whatever I was like, oh, I wish this was written for people with pelvic pain. Um, so people, the everyday ordinary person can read it and be able to possibly, you know, put it into their own circumstances and apply it to their situation. So, yeah, I just told him that that's what we have to do, <laughs> essentially. And he was totally on board. And I guess that's just where it all came from. And so that's the end game there, is it, Millie? Because I'm super yep. excited about that because I have <laughs> to say, <laughs> I was just saying to these two, Honestly, explaining that to patients is just next level. And I I sometimes feel, well, 
I don't sometimes. I can feel that if I were to bring up, well, the pain talk is probably the way that I think about it, Mm -hmm. um, to some of my pelvic pain patients that they, you can just feel them retract, you know, like you're just going to lose them, I think. Um, So having, I suppose, an option that they can, something that's been researched and figured out and we know that this is the optimal way that it should be spoken about and taught would be brilliant. So I'm excited. That is (laughs) And I guess even, I feel like even with my work now, I'm applying for a grant and instead of writing pain science education, even just writing pelvic pain science, putting pelvic in front immediately makes them feel like, yes, this is me, might make it a bit more relatable. So it's like small things like that, which picking up along the way, I'm like, oh yeah, that can actually, could have actually a big impact. And it's It's such a taboo thing, isn't it? You know, like people don't talk about it. So getting it out there mainstream is amazing. Yay. It would be so, so cool. So one day we're doing all the groundwork to hopefully have some nice resource of some description yeah. that would be how long in the how ideal long world. <laughs> <laughs> back off tomorrow sorry <laughs> well, I won't say that in my original PhD proposal there was the last study was to develop some sort of resource and then as I was writing out my proposal going we don't know so much and mm. if you're going to do it you got to do it well so why not use this opportunity totally. to do that groundwork and then hopefully by the end of my PhD and with Jane's work we can say Hey, look Here at all this is. cool evidence. Give us money to make a resource <laughs> in the ideal world. But amazing. Again, a long way to get there, probably, unfortunately. Yeah, that's okay. We'll follow you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Millie, it's, um, I assume then the systematic review that you did looking at the efficacy of self management strategies as part of this journey towards mm-hmm. understanding uh, persistent pelvic pain the best you can before you start uh, rolling out this great resource that you're planning to do. Um, So I guess, first of all, from a clinician's point of view, um, we just want to say thank you because (laughs) that's a hell of a lot of reading that you have had to do to pull that paper together. (laughs) Um, And I do, um, I mean, obviously we've all read it and you know, it's insightful, obviously. We always think it's very insightful to go and talk to the people with the problem, first of all, to help us Mm -hmm. understand it. Um, There's a few things in there that we've found particularly interesting, but do you want to just tell us a little bit more about what you found interesting out of that systematic review first? Yeah. So um, we wanted to, I guess, appraise and check out the evidence of what is available in terms of self-management strategies. Um, I guess the big thing is, which surprised me coming into this is that there's no universal definition for what self-management is which kind of blows my mind when it's such a big component of not only pain care and pain health but just chronic health management Mm. in general so that was like that was number one um so we even had to make our own definition of what self-management is and the criteria we were going to pick um So, yeah, we did this big search through all different databases and we found 15 studies that met our criteria. Most of them were for diet supplements and diet therapies. We had one for a yoga-based intervention and another one for some over-the-counter medication, so naproxen. Um, And so, yeah, we collated all that evidence and compared it to their control groups, which were most often placebo And we found that really none of them are that effective and we shouldn't really be drawing any definite conclusions for what to 
I guess, suggested for, for people with endo in terms of self-management, um, which might be a little bit sad as a clinician or trying to apply it. It's like, damn, thought yoga could be really good. And look at the evidence. It's only 12 people. And yes, it looks effective, but again, it's only 12 people. Mm. Heaps of people dropped out. We can't really make certain claims, I suppose. It's super interesting because I think, especially in the social media space, you're all on social media, you see all this endo diet, endo exercise, mm, yeah. endo this, endo that people. It's kind of sad that endo is a bit in vogue at the moment. Um, I mm. mean, it's cool, but at the same time, it's a little bit sad. Um, and so people obviously jumping on the vulnerability train a little bit to try and market these sorts of things. And so it raises a few alarm bells and I'm going, oh should you really be suggesting everyone be following x diet and doing x exercise when really we don't have the evidence to suggest that and even with the naproxen medication that study was performed in 1985 um guidelines make recommendations off of it that's the only study out there it's a cross mm. trial it's just it's fascinating to see the implications of this research and possibly where claims are being made where they shouldn't be <laughs> 100 claims is not research <laughs> evidence. Yeah, I would say some of those definite ones probably shouldn't be made. I guess I like an analogy. I don't know if this is a good one, so you can tell me if it's not. Testing out glasses for people that have poor eyesight. If you were to give everyone the exact same prescription of glasses, it's going to work for some people and it's probably not going to work for the majority of people. That's not to say that glasses are ineffective, uh, proving eye, improving eyesight. It depends on mm. the individual. So it really comes it down to what works for them, their goals, what they want to get out of it. Um, so it's not to say that self-management is ineffective. We have data to suggest that people who self-manage their pain have better outcomes. They go to the doctor less frequently, have better quality of life. It's just that we can't necessarily say do this specific thing or take this specific thing. This will definitely help your pain because we just don't have the data to support those claims. Hard, isn't it? Because it is so individual. And as you say, not each, I mean, there's lots of self-management strategies, thank God, because we mm -hmm. definitely need them um, for women with persistent pelvic pain because it's not necessarily, it needs to be managed, right, for quite a long time. So they need those tools um, but it's hard then with the research, right? Because mm -hmm. they're not going to work for everyone. So yeah. you just then you consider even a control group controlling for these things is real hard as well. Um, yeah. So I guess diet supplements are easy because you can just give them a placebo tablet, which lots of these studies did. But when you're considering yeah. things like exercise or thing like physio, using physio as a self-management strategy, that's really hard. And people that just control to usual medical care you know that has so many different variables in it I feel like mm. it's just a giant minefield that is yet to be worked out to be a hundred percent you know mm. Nick. the so exercise piece is tricky. interesting um I don't know whether you found that interesting Millie um maybe on a personal level but uh, certainly as a clinician um we find most of our patients need some form of exercise to help them manage their symptoms um, and obviously that exercise is usually different depending on mm -hmm. the person so it's obviously our job to help them find the right type of exercise one thing that is mentioned in that paper which I thought was also very clinically relevant is that the symptoms themselves become a barrier to exercise for women mm -hmm. you know so you often hear them saying 
I tried, but, you know, I just had such a bad night. I couldn't get out of bed for the class. And, you know, I guess, again, our job is trying to help them sort of navigate those symptoms and help them pull themselves through it, Mm -hmm. get to the exercise. You know it's going to make you feel better. Um, But, again, yes, it does make me feel a bit sad that none of that has come out in the research. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Barriers to self-management is definitely such a tricky space. Um, and yeah, you hear that a lot. It's just, you're not well enough to do these things and it hurts to begin with. So of course people mm. don't want to keep doing something that hurts them. That's the most normal it's, reaction to have. Um, yeah. Cause they're fearful, guess- aren't they? Of the exercises as well, which mm-hmm. then adds that, you know, degree of threat over the top, which then adds to the pain, etc. One cool thing in one of my studies that I'm writing up now, which I think we're going to touch on, um, is I guess tying in that education side of things and how much people valued um, learning about pain and that gave them the reason to do those self-management strategies. It makes them realise, okay, so if this does this, I can help it by doing this. And that gives people the motivation to do those things as well. Because I remember being, I was 16, I had quit all my sport. I was a really active person. I did dancing, netball, softball, a bunch of different things all throughout the year. And I quit all my sport because I was in so much pain. And I remember going to the gynecologist and she said, you just need to go for a walk. And I'm sitting there going Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, literally (laughs) um, giving the finger a little bit. Um, And, you know, I took that so offensively. I'm like, is this Mm. a fat joke? Have I put on weight? Um, what are they like of course I would be doing this if I didn't have pain but now I have that understanding of what Mm. exercise can do it's so important but without that foundational understanding I think that's where a lot of barriers come into it Mm. and the psychological side of things is really hard again it's like Mm. are there people commenting on my weight Mm. Uh, should I be moving my body's changed so much are they trying to say I should be like this it's so so hard and Mm. I'm not a clinician so I don't know how you will do it um but yeah it'd be a very tricky space there's lots of barriers unfortunately mm. but hopefully with pain science education we can that's it it yeah yeah <laughs> you do find yourself a bit of a psychologist ish you know or you're, you're attempting to be anyway if they understood it would make such a big difference to their mm-hmm. lives especially teens I was the same as you Millie I mm-hmm. had endo too Oof, what a confusing world that was to yep. grow up in mm-hmm. um, so I can appreciate that as well so if you aren't a patient of mine and you haven't gone back and listened to the episode on the empowered motherhood program listen up actually everyone listen up because this is amazing The Empowered Motherhood program is an incredible online program and mobile app that combines physio-led exercise and expert education for every stage of pregnancy, birth, and the postnatal journey. It's created by the Australian Physiotherapy Association's titled Women's Health Physiotherapist, Liz Evans, and Pregnancy and Postnatal Exercise Specialist and former elite netball athlete, Kimmy Smith. It has week-by-week programs which start from five weeks of pregnancy all the way through to the first year postpartum. Alongside Kimmy and Liz, the EMP includes expert interviews with an obstetrician, psychologist, dietitian, midwife, and more. The pregnancy program has been created with up-to-date medical pregnancy guidelines and includes a combination of strength, Pilates, cardio, and bar classes, but I know some people call them barre, 
but with a French background, seriously, it's bar. Um, yoga, guided meditation, a program for women experiencing pelvic girdle pain, and a complete birth preparation series, which includes physio-led birth prep classes, as well as expert interviews and education. The postnatal program is designed to be started from birth and their birth recovery program includes both vaginal and C-section week by week recovery programs. It includes functional progressive exercises to help women return to exercise safely and confidently. It has programs for pelvic organ prolapse, pelvic floor injuries such as incontinence and obstetric injuries such as anal sphincter tearing, as well as a complete eight week return to running program. They offer a free trial for maternal health care providers, so you can look around the app and you can also have the option to list your clinic on the Empowered Motherhood program, find a physio page, so you can receive referrals from their members. So head to empoweredmother.com.au or look for the link on the show notes. Is endo specifically itself one category of your research? Have you split endo into its own little box in persistent pelvic pain at all um well I guess originally I came in with the idea just looking at persistent pelvic pain in general Mm -hmm. and obviously endo falls into that um Mm. we probably find some niche things that might be a bit more specific to people with endo um so in this qualitative study that I'm writing up at the moment uh we in, uh, interviewed a bunch of people with a bunch of different persistent pelvic pain conditions and most did have endo but it was quite nice hearing stuff from the bladder pain side involved in the aside those kinds of things as well um and they probably acknowledge some different things like especially the biological side the, and the pathological side of their pelvic pain experience because that's you know people get misled and gaslit and their diagnosis is delayed for years and sometimes decades And so obviously when they find out they have endo, a lot of their identity is held to the presence of pathology. Um, So the acknowledgement of that, whereas in other previous pain science research, there's probably that real focus on not identifying and moving away from the pathology side of things. However, people with endo hold a real strong identity to that pathology, which I think is totally fair and reasonable it's part of their pain experience um so not Mm. dismissing that side of things um but then on the other side for people with just general pelvic pain um they're starting to grow a little bit of voice to saying now we feel a bit left out because oh it's like all this emphasis is being placed on endo and endo research and the management of endo and then people with other conditions feeling like they're being left behind a little bit so yeah it's definitely interesting hearing from both sides of the coin essentially yeah so that's qualitative research hey that's yeah tricky because I stalked you right obviously as you know yesterday (laughs) is this the one that you're doing at the physio clinic somewhere some sort of is this is it at no, a physiotherapy um, clinic or is that something else no, that I'm looking so at? No, so this one, um, I've done some research with the Women's and Children's Hospital here okay. in Adelaide um, and so worked with pelvic health physiotherapists there and we okay. interviewed some uh, adolescents with pelvic pain and we just wanted to find out what they thought of this physiotherapy service and that um, the accessibility of it so we worked with that physiotherapy clinic there um, but for this qualitative study we interviewed 20 people with pelvic pain um, and they came from all over Australia so yeah it was super super fascinating and 
feeling so privileged and just humbled to hear these people's experiences. So, yeah, very cool, very cool. Can I just ask a bit about the adolescent study? So Rose, who works at the Women's and Children's Hospital, she ran two focus groups. One was interviewing teens that had accessed the service to get their opinions because they just want to make the service better and really hear from hear from the people that matters most, I suppose, the clients, hear what they have to say. And then she also ran another focus group with people that were on the list to come but hadn't really booked in and hadn't made that step to accessing the service and hearing why they possibly haven't started. That is clever. Mm. Yeah, super cool. Um, And so we looked at the accessibility and we used a healthcare accessibility framework and we found that because this is all done through the public health system, they found that you know, the information about the physiotherapy service and just info about pelvic pain in general is not really there. So they don't know that physio is even a thing that could be offered to them. Um, And jumping between the paediatric side of things and then the women's health side of things within this one hospital system can be very tricky. And they're often stuck in the gynae side of things for 12 months plus before the gynecologist suggested, oh, what about this physiotherapy service we have here? And then they sort of find out about it. Um, So I guess the information about it and I guess, yeah, the knowledge of the teens themselves, not necessarily knowing physio is even an option for them, um, was, I guess, a barrier to accessibility. And then also looking at, I'm trying to think, what else is there? It's been a long time since I saw the the pretty flow chart. Um, (laughs) But essentially a bunch of, there's a bunch of problems along the way for the teens to actually breach that service. Um, and but once they get there, they're in love. They're in love Aww. so much that they don't actually want to leave and they're having trouble discharging people. Mm. But they, you know, they found out. So they do group um group classes. So they they're going and there's other teens that have pelvic pain and they're mm. realizing that they're not alone. That is massive. Um, they've set up the service. I haven't actually been. I really should go and visit mm. and just see what the space looks like. But they've got the room set up with bean bags and it's not like a hospitally doctor's office at all. They can go and just chill, do their own thing. Um, and they just love the space so much. And they've been, they've learned about pain and they said, oh my gosh, like you talk about the pelvic floor muscles and the role of the brain and Mm. um, the management side of things. Oh my gosh, I didn't know I could do any of this. This has really helped. Um, So yeah, it was so so, great. So cool that they're absolutely loving it. Um, But I guess Mm. the problem is that, yeah, they just love it so much. They kind of don't want to leave. So they're getting (laughs) a little bit dependent on it. So figuring out how to then give them the tools to go. Self-management strategies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, So, yeah, it was just great to hear how much they love this service. Hopefully we want to interview the parents as well. That's sort of down the line. Be cool Ah. to get the parents' point of view and what they think about it as well. So Your other research article, the treatment recommendations for the management of persistent pelvic pain, which you looked at all the guidelines, right? said mm-hmm. physio was no good is that true <laughs> it, not it that it's in no there. good it's just not, not recommended oh, just not it. in so there wrong. unfortunately yeah. and my biases mm. obviously going wish it was yeah. in there um, yeah. but yeah there's just that lack not of in the evidence. guidelines yeah, yeah fair yeah it's so annoying so so yeah. annoying. yeah but this type of thing that you're doing might you know, push it, push it forwards. Hopefully. Um, well, yeah. some of the guidelines, like the Renscog guidelines for endo used here, suggest um, education as being a big part of where research should be focusing on and improving education side of things. So 
hopefully we're down we're going down the right path which again in my biased opinion I think we are (laughs) and hearing from other people it seems like a great thing to be doing but yeah hopefully I really hope keep fingers crossed (laughs) we haven't really gone into too much about the pain science education side but you're talking about kind of looking at adolescence and having gone through it as an adolescent and the way that we talk to teens as opposed to talking to adults should we be explaining this like we know we need to explain pelvic pain and pain differently um, or at least persistent pain differently than we might talk about acute pain but what about the difference between adults and teens should we be educating them differently about their Um, pelvic pain or about their endometriosis I won't say I'm a hundred percent all over this because my research is predominantly focused in adults Um, but Hayley who's part of my research team her focus is on um, how adolescents conceptualize pain and how we should be educating teens about their pain so her whole thesis has been on that my gut instinct like yes we should be talking but how that should be done I probably don't have the answers just Mm. as yet I feel like but it's definitely an area we want to start exploring more in I'm writing a grant to hopefully tackle some of these things with teens specifically and pain sciencey stuff and how they would like messages to be conveyed Mm. um so again so great, Millie. Give us money to yeah, be able to no, do I, I know. I wish I was. Because I have a feeling there. it would it would definitely, um, yeah, it would definitely be different. How it would be different? Mm. I can't quite give the answers. But even from those focus groups, listening, you know, some teens didn't really feel ready to talk about sex and that side of things. So, th- which is completely understandable. So, I guess those sorts of things um, would be different, but. Mm. They're putting in tampons. They struggle so much with tampons, you know, Mm -hmm. when you can't even. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I guess, the whole element of balancing school and how that would intertwine uh, with it. Um, So there's different life stages, I suppose, and how that would Mm. all integrate into pain education. Be fascinating. Probably not as comfortable as some of us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm just like, I do not care. I know my ABC uh, article, I remember, I'm I'm going to start with, I never had a normal period. I feel like an article needs to start with something like that. I don't care. I'm happily to talk about my experience, but that's not the same uh, across the board. So it's Mm. such a big barrier and struggle. So where was it that I was looking at with the masterclass for pain revolution? And Mm -hmm. were you talking or was Jane talking? Now I can't even remember where I saw it. Yeah, Jane presented um, yes. to the masterclass, master session um, that Noi Group ran. She did such a cool job. I was just sitting there going, oh, yes, <laughs> and, and my work has been shown. She's so my part of my family. Yeah, so exactly. that's right. It was Jane who, who, pre- who tweeted something about presenting, and she mentioned your work, and she was talking about pain science education for pelvic pain. So what can you tell us about that? So, yeah, that's the qualitative study that I'm writing up at the moment. My word qualitative work is so hard. And I feel like out of my out of my thesis, this is I don't know if you meant to have a favorite child, but I feel like this is going to be my favorite child where I just want this paper to be chef's kiss. Um, I just (laughs) have have all the have all the feels, have all the feels. So, um, yeah, done a qualitative study where we interviewed 20 females with persistent pelvic pain conditions. And we asked them, what were the most important things for you to learn about pain science? I should probably say they have engaged in pain science education in some form. That is quite hard to recruit by as a little 
tidbit of info. Anyway, so these women had undergone pain science education and they had also self-diagnosed, they self-identified themselves as having improved pelvic pain. So we wanted to learn specifically from the people that have improved, which I think is quite niche because most research is done on people that don't, you know, they don't have good patient outcomes. That's why you're researching it to improve it. So we kind of figure, well, these people might have something interesting to learn from. So we interviewed them and asked them what the most important tidbits of pain science education were to them. And we also went into education delivery methods. So how they found out about this info, what they liked, what they didn't like. So we could get a bit of information about that as well. And so did some thematic analysis and we identified roughly like four pain science education concepts that people with pelvic pain valued. And I'm going to get them up so I can get them right. I'm not going to say, what are they? What are they? (laughs) I'm not going to give the exact words just because, you know, I have to leave a little bit of suspense. So when it eventually gets published, you know, you can check it out there. Oh, no exact words. Shame. That's Um, okay. (laughs) But basically, so the four things that are really important were the changes, like learning about the changes to the brain and the nervous system. um, And that was really important in validating people's pelvic pain experiences. So I guess that step one is that validation side of things. Number two, learning about the relationships between pain and tissue damage. And yes, pain can be a sign of tissue damage, but it's not necessarily always. And those things don't correlate very well. So that's, I guess, reassurance. So step one, validation. Step two, reassurance. Number three, we're learning about the many factors that can influence pelvic pain. So I guess delving down that biopsychosocial aspect And this was really helpful for people then to be able to, I guess, put the learning into action through those self-management strategies. They were able to find things that worked for them. So we said, um, I guess I'm writing that as more of an enablement. And so number four is learning that pain can change dot, dot, dot slowly. (laughs) So it's not an overnight thing, but Mm. even just learning that, oh, my God, my pain can improve and I can actually do things to change it is really, really important and empowerment. So I guess those four concepts, we're trying to write them into like four little steps. So the validation, the reassurance, the enablement, the empowerment. And that's, I guess, where it's at at the moment. I'm halfway through writing the results. So (laughs) this could change, (laughs) but that's the general gist of where it's going, I suppose. And I just, yeah, I'm so, so happy with how this has all come together. And I think it'll be really, really cool. I guess extrapolating this to pelvic pain. So, yeah. It will be the chef's kiss, Millie. I think I'm quite good at number three and four. (laughs) Number one and two, I would like the help with definitely. So that's very exciting. (laughs) Even just like reading the quotes and putting it all together, it's just, I always say, I was saying to my supervisor, it just hits me in the feels, you know. It's just so nice to hear these stories and, um, yeah, just some of the insights these people have. I do have a favourite quote. And she goes on to talk about, you know, you get MRIs done, you get ultrasounds done, you get x-rays and you're told this is damaged, this is damaged. Then you get told you have painful bladder syndrome and pudendal neuralgia and says, you know, your brain just goes hectic. Ah. Yeah, your brain just freaks out. Adhesions, adhesions. Exactly. (laughs) Kissing ovaries, frozen (laughs) pelvis, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stuck together. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, you hear these insights, then you say, wow, you know we can learn so much from these people. And I guess that's been quite purposeful in my research is that we're going to the, you know, the consumers and the patients first and getting their point of view 
So hopefully my last study will be a Delphi study to get the clinician's point of view, ah, but we can feed cool. in the patient's perspectives to them first. So it's sort of going that bottom up approach rather than top down. Cause at the end of the day, yeah, great. have to help the people, you know, at the end of the line, which is those patients and the people in pel- that have pelvic pain. So I can't help, but um, think how powerful this information is for clinicians, Millie, like, you know, so like I said at the beginning, we're just grateful, right? That you do you doing all this re- reading and research and pulling it all together to be able to give us four points. And you know, mm. I know that would have taken you years yeah. to get to those four points. <laughs> but for us as clinicians, we go, brilliant, brilliant. That is so helpful for us. Oh well, I I sit back and I think I'm not doing much at all. I feel like you know, no way. Like you're the so ones helpful. doing the ground. You're doing the groundwork uh, of been doing it in practice I don't know how hard it must be and you do learn over years and years and years and years like Tam was saying we get good at certain elements of that with Mm -hmm. um, utilizing our soft skills because we obviously have the privilege of listening to lots of stories as well Mm -hmm. Um, so you do sort of learn how to um, educate say the right things at the right time you know because we've all made mistakes where we've not (laughs) done it well yes um felt that <laughs> yeah and felt it and gone oops too hard too much too soon um so to be I guess gifted this information just speeds up our um speeds that learning process up for us and for a physio's learning mm-hmm. not to have to and make I, the mistakes <laughs> maybe and I think it, yeah it's quite interesting just having conversations have my fortnightly meetings and you just realize you know pelvic health research and pelvic pain I suppose is probably that 20 years behind musculoskeletal pain research so Lauren Mm. was sitting there going this sounds familiar this sounds familiar this sounds familiar this seems like what back pain used to be like 20 plus years ago Um, so it's like we're going through those motions but hopefully now we've got some of that background work we can speed up so it doesn't take us 20 years Mm. to get to where they are now Um, so yes, we're doing catch up work, but I think it's really important and it's exciting. So it yeah. is. I just hope it, that it's it clinically got, relevant. <laughs> it is. It is. We'll tell you it is now. Yes, it is. <laughs> Has it got some funding now? Because obviously, you know, pel- what was it? Was it pelvic pain that got funding, or was it endo that got endo, funding, or was it the National Action Plan for Endo came out? They yeah. did. Um, part of that was they set up a medical research future fund MRFF research. Uh, grant that was specifically for endo um, but that was back in 2019 Mm. and I haven't heard because I know the liberal government that just got kicked out they were promising funding but we haven't heard anything from the current elected government to see whether they're going to be funding anything specific Um, but I mean obviously little bits come up here and there so Jane actually got money to run a feasibility trial and I'm allowed to say it because it's been in the media so it's not under embargo or anything Um, but she got money to run a feasibility trial of preparing a pain science education and self-management package that people would undergo before having their laparoscopy Mm. Uh, for endometriosis ah. um so there's been other studies in other pain conditions where delivering PSC before a surgery has improved outcomes and so potentially teaching them about that there could help them better through the recovery stage and getting back to hopefully a somewhat more normal life well I think you are doing a very good job at that that is for sure the translation from the research across to the clinician and the patients and that's why I liked your Instagram so much because <laughs> I could see all the research through it I was like Aha, 
yeah, there yeah, it is. Well, that I makes sense. I wasn't expecting it. I mean, I feel like I I need to engage with it more and then just through busy oh, no, patches I sort of yeah. sort of goes down a little bit, but I don't know. I find it interesting and it's fun to engage with other people and, you know, op- different opportunities come from it as well. So is there anything that you have learnt with your research in ways that we talk to people about pain to give the people listening and even us some idea about the kind of things that we shouldn't say or what you found or did you find anything that came across as unhelpful? One of the things I suppose is how I guess people acknowledge the different aspects of someone's pain experience. I kind of think about it is I follow a few um, dietitians on Instagram and you see them say, oh, instead of saying cut out carbs or cut out chocolate you say okay what can we add to this to make it more nutritious so instead of taking those things away so I guess um rather than I guess my previous probably at the start of my PhD I always thought okay so you have to tell people that their pathology doesn't matter and that's not Mm. really causing anything and we have to focus on these other things whereas rather we should be saying okay yep cool for people then go yep you've got this pathology um you've we're going to manage that through you're going to have surgery you might have some medication they're great first steps okay what can we add to that and do on top of rather than taking that away from people and I guess not acknowledging that side of things which I think people when they learn biopsychosocial they start excluding the bio side mm-hmm. of things but for people with pelvic pain that is so important it's you know part of their identity it's part of their pain experience I love that too. I mm-hmm. think um, we got scared into like ca- catastrophizing people's pain in physio land mm-hmm. that people stopped validating the pain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then people don't come back because, mm-hmm. you know, that's because they like, think, think that you think they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's all in their head and they're just yeah, focusing on awful. my anxiety. Oh, you know? oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's all, I love the bucket analogy. It's all water in the bucket. And only yeah. if the bucket is overflowing are you in this flare. Your bio stuff is water in the bucket. Um, yeah. But we're doing all these things in order to help keep that stable. But other bits of water in the bucket, of course, are the words, are the way that you hold your body throughout the day, uh, your stressful things at work, all these types mm-hmm. of things, and they're the controllable factors. So, yeah. But I love the bio being solid in the background because I agree that's the validation, um, mm-hmm. I think, that they need. Yay, cool. Awesome work, Millie. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I just love doing it. I cannot wait for the rest of your work. Um, I know you have a meeting to get to. Before you go, is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered? I think there's cool things happening in the pelvic health and pelvic pain space. And, um, yeah, even going to conferences, just general pain conferences and people coming up feeling really excited and engaged and wanting to know more. I think it's, yeah. Is there a conference? I was going to say, oh, okay. Well, before we get to that, oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, is there a conference in Radelaide? Because that was a really fun place I went to um, with you and all your supervisors that we could like hang out all together. Is there something coming up? Um, So Pain Adelaide is in October and I'm going to be presenting. So who's it by? Who's doing it? Um, yeah. Lorimer runs it all pretty well. Yes. What weekend in October um, is that? Um, I'll have to look. 
Yeah, that's okay. I'll send, I'll put the link in there. Well, Millie, we um, are hosting a conference. We did one in May. Um, when was it? <laughs> just, the, just this year? This was, year. It? <laughs> <laughs> this year. Yeah. Um, and it was our first ever conference and it was on the female athlete and it was a one-day conference. And um, we are doing it again next year, but it will be on endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And we would love you to speak at that. It's in Bris Vegas. Yeah. Uh, Best conference hosts that I have ever been involved with. And I'm not saying that because we're friends now, but that's how we became friends. I did. I did. I did hear. I saw the Twitterverse and in Instagram people sharing it and only heard good things so okay and then girls pain adelaide is monday 31st of october that's a good day please um, come it'll be oh so fun i'll be nervous yeah. i'll be nervous i'll be like no, it'll be that's good. all right. We'll it'll cheer in the background. Yeah, but then you'll see us. Wait, you know what? That's like the day before Melbourne Cup. Not that I don't do anything with Melbourne Cup anyway. And does Adelaide do anything, or can I expect a normal day? Um, it's not a public holiday or anything. Okay, here. cool. Yeah, it's, it's like Halloween. It is, is that Halloween? Yes, that's Halloween. Yes. Can we dress up for it? Oh, that would be oh. fun. Yeah, vulva. <laughs> Oh, a scary God. one. <laughs> <laughs> a scary, hairy vulva. Oh, God. Okay, well, now this is taking a turn. Okay. Um, Millie, we will let you <laughs> go so you can go to your meeting. Okay, we're planning October, guys. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, Look forward good. to meeting you there. Thank you so much. Okay, okay no worries. Millie. Take care. Bye. See you. They're going to really shake it up, I think, like shake up the whole, make it... I don't know. They're good. Yeah. Real. Yeah. Guys, I the validation of the bio is the thing. Yes, I think there. God. And then the adding. Ah, yes, thank God. Because that's what I suppose has scared me. Like you said, Joe, in the past. Mm-hmm. Just the thinking about psychosocial is confronting to the patient. So oh, very yeah. good. Yay. Very good. And look, sorry, I'm coming coming back to Pain Adelaide on Monday, the 31st of October yeah. 2022. It's at the National Wine Center. Oh, I mean, Just it's, it's a no-brainer. Guys, in a, in, oh, no, wait, that then says Adelaide Convention Center. No, it says National Wine Center. I'm going with that one. I might fly with you, Laurie. I'll be flying back from, I'm doing the Noosa Triathlon on the Sunday. Oh. oh. Okay. Maybe. So I might fly with you on the Monday morning or something from Brisbane. I really should finish this PhD, but. <laughs> Just one day. <laughs> we'll a trip just, to just do a day trip. No, I want to go stay there. Um, <laughs> I don't want to fly in, fly out. That's not me. Um, yeah, that was that was really that was really good. That it's so interesting. I can't wait for all the stuff that she comes out with. But mm. I just wish it would be faster, right? You wish yeah. all research is yeah. <laughs> all research yeah. would be faster, but it's definitely not. So if you aren't a patient of mine and you haven't gone back and listened to the episode on the Empowered Motherhood program listen up. Actually, everyone listen up because this is amazing. The Empowered Motherhood program is an incredible online program and mobile app that combines physio-led exercise and expert education for every stage of pregnancy, birth, and the postnatal journey. It's created by the Australian Physiotherapy Association's titled Women's Health Physiotherapist, Liz Evans, and Pregnancy and Postnatal Exercise Specialist and former elite netball athlete, Kimmy Smith. It has week-by-week programs which start from five weeks of pregnancy all the way through to the first year postpartum. 
Alongside Kimmy and Liz, the EMP includes expert interviews with an obstetrician, psychologist, dietitian, midwife, and more. The pregnancy program has been created with up-to-date medical pregnancy guidelines and includes a combination of strength, Pilates, cardio, and bar classes, but I know some people call them barre, but with a French background, seriously, it's bar. Um, Yoga, guided meditation, a program for women experiencing pelvic girdle pain, and a complete birth preparation series, which includes physio-led birth prep classes, as well as expert interviews and education. The postnatal program is designed to be started from birth and their birth recovery program includes both vaginal and C-section week-by-week recovery programs. It includes functional progressive exercises to help women return to exercise safely and confidently. It has programs for pelvic organ prolapse, pelvic floor injuries such as incontinence and obstetric injuries such as anal sphincter tearing, as well as a complete eight-week return to running program. They offer a free trial for maternal healthcare providers, so you can look around the app and you can also have the option to list your clinic on the Empowered Motherhood program, find a physio page, so you can receive referrals from their members. So head to empoweredmother.com.au or look for the link on the show notes.